Picture this. You are attending in the cardiac intensive care unit. You're called around midnight about Ms. Watkins, a 34-year-old previously healthy woman with profound shortness of breath, hypoxia, and elevated troponin. Curious about an elevated troponin and what sounds like severe illness in someone so young, you rush to see her in the emergency department. You find a woman in moderate respiratory distress, struggling to speak in full sentences. She manages to tell you that she started feeling bad two weeks ago when she felt like she had the flu. She recovered, but then yesterday started to feel winded doing her normal activities and felt progressively worse over the past 48 hours with chest pain and shortness of breath. It feels like my heart is beating out of my chest, she struggles to say. I just can't breathe. You review her chart and find that her troponin is elevated at 4 milligrams per deciliter, but relatively stable over an 8-hour interval. Her chest x-ray shows diffuse pulmonary infiltrates bilaterally, and her EKG shows sinus tachycardia without any ST elevations or depressions. Review of her telemetry shows frequent runs of non-sustained ventricular tachycardia. You decide to admit her to the cardiac ICU because you are concerned that she is going downhill and fast. You consider the suspected diagnosis and whether you will sleep at all tonight as you consider the natural history of Miss Watkins' condition. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Laurel Toft, bringing cardiology from our bricks to your ears. After completing this section, you will be able to 1. Define myocarditis. 2. List the most common viral, bacterial, fungal, and parasitic causes of myocarditis, and describe the general mechanism for how these organisms damage the myocardium. 3. List non-infectious causes of myocarditis and describe the general mechanism for how the myocardium is damaged in these conditions. 4. Describe the characteristic microscopic features of acute infectious myocarditis. And 5. Describe the typical clinical presentation, spectrum, and prognosis of myocarditis. Part 1. What is myocarditis? Myocarditis is the inflammation of the heart muscle. This muscle is the middle layer of the heart, formerly called the myocardium, hence the name myocarditis. The itis indicates inflammation. Inflammation of the myocardium can be caused by a variety of etiologies, from infection to drugs. If severe enough, myocarditis can lead to necrosis and cardiomyocyte death. This is dangerous because there is limited regenerative potential of myocytes. Furthermore, as part of the healing process, myocardial tissue is replaced by a fibrous scar with no contractile properties. This diminishes the strength of cardiac muscle, and in some cases, the damage can lead to heart failure. Let's stop right here for a quick knowledge check. Question. What is myocarditis? Myocarditis is the inflammation of the myocardium, or the middle muscular layer of the heart. Part 2. What causes myocarditis? Myocarditis can be caused by infectious as well as non-infectious etiologies. Most cases of myocarditis are quote, idiopathic, meaning no cause is identified, or as I like to say, we feel like idiots and don't know why it happened. When we are able to identify an underlying etiology, it's most often an infectious cause, be it a virus, bacteria, fungi, or parasite. Each infectious agent has its own transmission route and constellation of symptoms that precede the development of myocarditis. 
So let's start with viruses that cause myocarditis, since they are the most common infectious etiologies. Currently, there are more than 20 viruses known to cause myocarditis. The most common are Coxsackie B, adenovirus, parvovirus, and recently discovered human herpes virus 6 and coronavirus. We're going to categorize these based on how they're transmitted. So first, let's discuss two viruses that are spread via fecal-to-oral transmission, meaning ingestion of fecal matter, gross. Coxsackie B and adenovirus both cause gastroenteritis, but adenovirus can have a myriad of other symptoms, ranging from the common cold to conjunctivitis to cystitis, or bladder infection. You can also pick up adenovirus through water or direct contact. Now for the viruses that are spread via oral or respiratory secretions. This should be familiar to everyone in 2021 since coronavirus falls into this category. Also in this category are parvovirus, famous for causing fifth disease, which presents as high fevers and rash in children or arthralgias in adults. Human herpes virus 6, called HHV6, causes roseola, also a disease with high fever and characteristic rash. Coronavirus, in particular SARS-CoV-2 that causes COVID-19, presents with fever, loss of taste or smell, and can have a host of other symptoms. Now moving on to bacterial causes of myocarditis. One notable bacterium is Carinibacterium diphtheriae, a gram-positive bacillus that spreads via direct contact or aerosolized respiratory droplets. It causes diphtheria, which presents with fevers, cough, lymphadenopathy, sore throat, and a classic gray pharyngeal patch, which is why it's called pseudomembranous pharyngitis. Because of the development of the diphtheria vaccine, it's not as common in developed countries, but is often found in children from sub-Saharan Africa, India, and Indonesia. Another bacterial etiology of myocarditis is the spirochete Borrelia burgdorferi, which is spread by the Ixodes ticks and causes Lyme disease. Look out for the characteristic bullseye-shaped rash at the bite site and flu-like symptoms. Fungi, like candida, can also rarely cause myocarditis. Protozoa, like toxoplasmosis, and helminths, like schistosomiasis, can cause myocarditis, most often in developing countries. One common, and high-yield-for-board exams, etiology of myocarditis is the South American parasite Trypanosoma cruzi, which causes Chagas disease. T. cruzi spreads via blood-sucking triatomine insects, also known as kissing bugs, although that's a very aggressive kiss, if you ask me, and invade the cardiomyocytes. Under the microscope, T. cruzi classically shows inclusion bodies, known as amastigotes, inside the myocytes. On ancient East stain, you'll see nice pink linear myofibrils and off-centered purple nuclei of the cardiac myocytes. The T. cruzi amastigote inclusion bodies look like a cluster of tiny grapes within the myocyte. Acute manifestations of Chagas disease include fevers, malaise, myalgias, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and, of course, myocarditis. There is also a characteristic shigoma, or swelling, at the bite site. If this occurs near the eyes, this is termed the Romagna sign. Chronic infection can lead to dilated cardiomyopathy, megaesophagus or megacolon, achalasia or loss of hair, and severe weight loss. So, now that you've learned the organisms that can cause myocarditis, let's learn how they do it. At a cellular level, these organisms can induce cardiomyocyte damage through two main mechanisms. First, direct damage. 
viruses hijack the cellular organelles to reproduce more virus, ultimately killing the cardiomyocyte cells. For their own survival and reproduction, bacteria, fungi, and helminths all consume cellular resources. They thereby starve and subsequently damage the cardiomyocytes. Second, immune system activation. In an effort to protect itself, the immune system recruits white blood cells to kill these foreign invaders, which is beneficial. However, these white blood cells can also induce cell death in nearby cardiomyocytes, which is not beneficial. Sometimes the infection persists for a long period of time, prolonging the active immune responses. And in other cases, this immune response can even continue long after the invader has been eliminated. Over time, this inflammation weakens the myocardial wall and eventually leads to dilated cardiomyopathy. So now let's move on to non-infectious causes of myocarditis, including toxins, drugs, and systemic disorders. Some cardiotoxins, literally poison to the heart muscle cells, include alcohol, arsenic, cocaine, anthracycline chemotherapy agents, and cyclophosphamide. Some common medications can also rarely cause myocarditis. These include antibiotics like ampicillin, thiazide or loop diuretics, methyl dopa used to treat Parkinson's disease, and mood stabilizers like lithium. All of these drugs can overactivate the immune response, producing type 1 hypersensitivity reactions dominated by eosinophils. During these hypersensitivity reactions, some of the immune-mediated destruction is aimed at the heart. Like these drugs' hypersensitivities that exaggerate the immune response, some systemic disorders can also cause myocarditis through a similar overzealous immune response. These include inflammatory disease like systemic lupus erythematosus, celiac disease, thyroid disease, hyper- or hypothyroidism, inflammatory bowel disease, or sarcoidosis. These autoimmune diseases attack the cardiomyocyte cells through increased inflammatory cells and cytokines. And for patients with heart transplants, rejection of the transplant will also cause myocarditis. Part 3. How to make the diagnosis of myocarditis histologically. Although electrocardiogram, cardiac enzymes, and acute phase reactants are helpful in identifying the etiology of myocarditis, the gold standard for diagnosis is an endomyocardial biopsy, or an EMB. Under the microscope, the key characteristic is an inflammatory infiltrate of leukocytes in the myocardial tissue. Regardless of underlying etiology, coagulative necrosis of cardiomyocytes can also be observed. However, the composition of the inflammatory infiltrates in myocarditis can vary depending on etiology. Bacterial, fungal, and even early viral myocarditis will present with neutrophilic predominant infiltrates while most late cases of viral myocarditis will present with lymphocytic predominant infiltrates. And since viruses are the most commonly identified cause of myocarditis, lymphocytic infiltrates are what we expect to see on biopsy. The most commonly followed criteria for diagnosing myocarditis using histology are the Dallas criteria. Under these criteria, active myocarditis demonstrates myocardial inflammatory infiltrates with findings of necrosis. In this case, you will see the rectangular cardiac myocytes with their linear pink myofibrils disrupted by clusters of blue inflammatory cells, as well as dying cells that have lost their rectangular shape and are leaking schmaltz, or cellular debris, that disrupts the pattern of myocytes. Borderline myocarditis shows inflammatory cellular infiltrates in the myocardium without evidence of myocyte injury, 
So there will be clusters of blue inflammatory cells, but no schmaltz from dying myocytes. One side note here. Myocardial infarction also causes death of myocytes with inflammatory cells, and the way the dead cells look is different in myocarditis compared to ischemia. So, for your own enrichment, you can compare and contrast figures of these two pathological processes. Now, there are certain types of myocarditis named specifically for the types of inflammatory cells disrupting the myocyte architecture. Eosinophilic myocarditis has predominant eosinophilic infiltrate, as the name would suggest. It is, not surprisingly, associated with drug hypersensitivity-induced myocarditis. Giant cell myocarditis is a rare type that presents with an aggressive clinical course of rapidly progressive onset of heart failure with significant arrhythmias and can be rapidly fatal. We're talking zero to death in two days. As the name suggests, under the microscope, we see giant multinucleated cells, which look like giant wavy pink ghosts with way too many blue nucleus eyes. Making this diagnosis is crucial because unlike other types of immune-mediated myocarditis, giant cell responds to immunosuppressive therapies, which should therefore be given as early as possible. So how do we make this diagnosis? Again, the gold standard is via endomyocardial biopsy. However, acquiring a chunk, even a tiny one, of heart tissue is very invasive. As a result, we often make a presumptive diagnosis based on the clinical picture. In addition to relying on ECG, cardiac enzymes, and acute phase reactants to support a presumptive diagnosis, we also consider the range of clinical manifestations, especially when determining the prognosis. Time for a knowledge check-in. Question. What is the most common type of infiltrate in myocarditis? Answer. A lymphocytic predominant infiltrate, most frequently caused by viral etiologies, is the most common type of infiltrate in myocarditis. Part 4. How does myocarditis present and what is its prognosis? Myocarditis is tricky clinically because the presentation can range from a mild flu-like illness, with really no recognition that the myocardium is being damaged, to raging fulminant heart failure and even sudden cardiac death. Specific infectious etiologies can be preceded by their characteristic symptoms, like a target rash in Lyme disease or a chagoma and GI upset with Chagas disease. Some general symptoms of myocarditis, regardless of etiology, include fatigue, chest pain, tachycardia, tachypnea from pulmonary congestion, and arrhythmia from nodal tissue involvement. Because of the varied presentation of myocarditis, we classify the disease and the corresponding prognosis based on the severity of the symptoms. This is termed a clinical pathologic classification. So let's discuss in order of descending drama of presentation. The most severe form is fulminant myocarditis, presenting with acute heart failure symptoms like dyspnea, fatigue, edema, less than two weeks after infection or exposure. Patients often experience a prodrome of fevers, arthralgias, and malaise. And those with fulminant myocarditis often require advanced mechanical circulatory support for hypotension and hemodynamic compromise. However, if treated in a timely manner, 93% of patients live and do not require cardiac transplant after 11 years. Acute myocarditis presents less severely than fulminant myocarditis around two to four weeks after exposure. The cardiac symptoms are often vague, such as sinus tachycardia and chest pain. You may also hear the following on heart auscultation. A third heart sound. 
a mitral insufficiency murmur, a tricuspid insufficiency murmur, or a pericardial friction rub. With acute myocarditis, there is a higher probability of progression to dilated cardiomyopathy. Although the initial symptoms are milder than fulminant myocarditis, the long-term prognosis after the initial presentation is worse than fulminant myocarditis because of the potential long-term damage to the cardiac muscle. So with acute myocarditis, there is a 45% chance of survival without cardiac transplant at 11 years. Chronic active myocarditis presents less dramatically than the first two forms, but is characterized by frequent clinical and histologic recurrences. The long-term prognosis is poor. Often, patients develop cardiac fibrosis and ventricular systolic dysfunction secondary to chronic inflammation. With time, systolic dysfunction leads to progressive heart failure. Chronic persistent myocarditis has the mildest manifestations. There is no ventricular systolic dysfunction. However, patients with chronic persistent myocarditis have persistent histologic infiltrates and often complain of ongoing chest pain and palpitations. Knowledge check time. Question. What is the long-term prognosis for fulminant myocarditis? Answer is... Patients with fulminant myocarditis have an excellent long-term prognosis of a 93% survival rate free of cardiac transplant at 11 years. And that's it for myocarditis. Let's see what we've learned today. First, can you define myocarditis? Myocarditis is the inflammation of the myocardium, the heart muscle itself. Next, what is the most common type of infection that causes myocarditis? Myocarditis can be caused by infectious agents such as viruses, bacteria, fungi, and parasites, but the most common cause is viral. Now, can you list three non-infectious causes of myocarditis? Non-infectious causes of myocarditis include direct cardiotoxins, hypersensitivity reactions, and systemic autoimmune disorders. Can you describe the characteristic microscopic features of acute infectious myocarditis? On endomyocardial biopsy, there are inflammatory infiltrates with cardiomyocyte necrosis, distinct from the dead myocytes and inflammatory cells seen in myocardial infarction. Next, what are the symptoms of myocarditis? Symptoms of myocarditis can vary dramatically. They include fatigue, chest pain, tachycardia, tachypnea, arrhythmias, sudden cardiac death, and congestive heart failure. And finally, name the four clinical pathologic categories of myocarditis and which has the worst prognosis. There are four clinical pathologic categories of myocarditis, fulminant, acute, chronic active, and chronic persistent. Even though fulminant has the most dramatic presentation, it actually has a better long-term prognosis than acute myocarditis, which has the worst prognosis of all the types. And we're done! 
Armed with your newfound knowledge on myocarditis, let's revisit our patient from earlier in this episode. Ms. Watkins is a 34-year-old woman who experienced a flu-like illness two weeks prior and is now presenting with tachypnea, hypoxia, and elevated cardiac enzymes. You admit her to the cardiac intensive care unit, but she continues to decline with worsening hypoxia and developing hypotension. You suspect a diagnosis of myocarditis, specifically giant cell myocarditis, which can have a rapidly progressive and fatal course. You decide she needs an endomyocardial biopsy to confirm the diagnosis, so you call your interventional cardiology colleague. You mention that the clinical presentation is concerning for fulminant myocarditis. In fact, you say, the time course, rapid deterioration, and arrhythmia make me suspect giant cell. I think she needs a biopsy tonight. She agrees that this is suspicious for giant cell myocarditis and organizes the cath lab for an urgent overnight biopsy. Meanwhile, you start Ms. Watkins on immunosuppressive therapy. The next morning, pathology confirms giant multinucleated cells seen on biopsy, and you are thrilled to see Ms. Watkins stabilizing. As you chug an extra-large coffee after rounds, you are comforted knowing that even though Ms. Watkins is critically ill, your middle-of-the-night phone call and teamwork led to the rapid diagnosis and treatment, which just might save her life. And that's our show. If you liked this episode, send us a comment or give us a thumbs up. Until next time.